FYI, next week um, Joe is going to be teaching. The following week, uh, we're going to do something fun, something fun and different. Um, is it going to be a costume party? No, it's not <laughs> going to be a costume party. Oh, that would be fun and different. It's, it's going to be, and I don't know exactly what it's going to look like yet, but um, you guys are going to do some, no, I don't, okay. It's, it's going to be a real different class, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and I'm just going to leave it like that. Um, I was going to say a little bit more, and God said, nope. Okay. So, two weeks. And Suspense then, is going to um, kill Gene, too. So. <laughs> After that, um, and, and David are going to teach for a season. So I'm excited. Um, I'm excited for what God's going to give them. Um, I actually love sitting underneath their teaching, and I just um, love watching them grow. It's, I know, the growth process, there's a lot of pain in it. And at the same time, it, there's a lot of joy. So I'm, I'm excited. Um, very excited. Very excited. So. We're, we're wrapping up today our, our study on 1 Corinthians 13. And primarily um, because he's going to be gone for the month of October. Um, so we've got to get it done today. We've got to get it done today. Yeah. So what have we been talking about? The, the, word, the, the word Ahava which is uh, talking about love. And God exhaled, we inhaled, and love came. So when we talk about ahava, it's, it's, it's that breathing sound. And so that's one of the, yeah. And, and the scripture says that the Lord breathed into us, you know, the breath of life. And so when we hear that ahava, God exhaled, we inhaled, and love came. And we've talked about how there's two different types of love throughout this entire series. One based on how things make us feel. I love pizza. Mm -hmm. Or I love pierogies. Or I love all this Polish food. I That's love the 49ers. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't love the Raiders either. So things go hand in hand. The other lies. Like baseball, right? <laughs> wow. Yeah, Jim, we don't watch much sports in the house. So it's not that I don't like sports, it's just that we don't watch them in the house. The other lies in appreciating the value of others. It's a choice. And yeah, I'll talk about this now. It's a choice. We were talking earlier amongst, uh, in, over here before class started, how many of us feel like we're caught in circumstances where our choices are dictated for us. Okay. We have to get a different mindset. Because if we don't get a different mindset, we can't fully love in those circumstances. There's always a choice. There is always a choice. The alternative may not be as appealing. Or we may feel that's in fact, it's so not appealing, it's not a choice at all. It's an unfair choice. Or it's an unfair choice. But unless we recognize that we have the power to make that choice, we can't be fully empowered to live out this one. Because we are always a victim of the circumstances that we can't make that choice versus I am choosing this choice. And it's that choice in which we can truly live out this love that we've been talking about for the last eight weeks. Why do you think God gave us a choice? 
if, if we didn't have that choice to sin or not sin, to walk away from God or to walk with God, there's no power there. Well, I might as well follow God because hell doesn't seem like much of a choice. <laughs> That's the life that we live then. The life that we live is hell's not much of a choice. As opposed to being empowered by heaven to live out the godly choice. There's a really distinct difference there. And we, it's important to wrap our minds around that. So if there are circumstances in your lives where you say, well, I, you know, I just don't have much of a choice. Yes, you do. Go ahead and choose the same choice you're making. But you do have a choice. Just to know that you have a choice makes a difference in the mindset to be able to go through and live that choice to the fullest. Does that make sense? Okay, so today we're wrapping it up. We're talking about, um, well, we've dealt with anger, we've dealt with forgiveness, we've dealt with selfishness, we've dealt with pride, we've dealt with disrespect or being rude. All the times I fail? No. <laughs> um, today we're going to look at verse 7 and 8 and just the beginning of verse 8. It says, love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. The rest of verse 8 says, but where there are prophecies, they'll pass away. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. In this particular verse, it talks about four specific attributes of love. We went through a lot of it does not, it does not, it does not. Here it says it always, it always hopes all things. It always believes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. All right. So it's a love that always, always. What does always mean? At all times. Really? At all times? At all times, there's hope. At all times, there's bearing. At all times, there's belief. There's all times enduring. That's one heck of a love. Okay? When we look at this whole verse in context at the beginning, we looked at verses 2 through 3. If I can solve all mysteries, if I have all knowledge, if I have all faith, and if I give away all I possess but have not love, I'm nothing. So if I can solve all mysteries, I'm pretty wise. If I have all knowledge, I'm smart too. Do you know what the dis difference between wisdom and knowledge is? <laughs> knowledge, yeah, because we don't know. Knowledge, knowledge, you know a lot of stuff. Okay, wisdom is the application of knowledge. You know when to use the stuff that you know, basically. Okay, um, if you have all this faith, and if you give away everything, but have love, it's nothing. So at the beginning of the verse, we start out: if we have all of this, but not love, we have nothing. <laughs> So what is the thing that helps us with all of the other things? It is the bearing with one another. Bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, and enduring all things. That's the counterpoint. So when we look at love bearing all things, different versions read NIV always protects. New Living Translation, I love this, it never gives up. International Standards, she bears up under everything. And the way New Testament says she knows how to, she knows how to be silent. That's how love, bears all things is um, 
That's how it's translated. She knows how to be silent. It's an interesting, it's an interesting translation. So with all the different translations, what does it mean to bear all things? What do you think it means? When you hear love bears all things, what's your immediately immediate thought? <laughs> oh, God. I gotta put up with this because what else? Anyone else have a different interpretation? Well, I would just think that it means being completely open and honest with the person that you're in a relationship with. Okay. It bears all. You're telling everything. You know, the moment that I knew that I had bared everything I possibly could was when I birthed our first son. There was nothing more I could give to that man that I hadn't already given. Okay. And we've grown ever since that moment. Okay. So emotionally putting it, laying it out on the table. All right, David. Yeah, I think it means you can be confident. <coughs> so you have that love. You can be confident that whatever comes your way will be able to handle. Okay. Okay. How about um, loving your teenage child as they go through puberty? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's a, it's a, it's a challenging it's time. It's endurance. <laughs> Can't sell them on Craigslist, so I guess I'll have to raise it. There's always eBay, no? <laughs> no, it's Estee. You remember you made them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Again, we, we talked in the beginning about making a choice. <laughs> well, seriously, though. Seriously. You're welcome. Making a choice. Bearing all things, if we truly want to bear all things without being weighed down by all things, we have to make the choice that we're going to choose to do that as a willing part of our love for that other person. That's how we can stand up. That's how we can endure. The Greek word for... Um for to, to bear all things is um, stege, which literally means actually to cover. And it includes the idea of protecting and preserving. Different concept than what we've been talking about when you're talking about bearing all things. And that's one of the reasons why I love doing word studies in scripture, because our general knowledge of what we think a word may mean takes it to a new level when you actually do a word study. What is um, it? It's a different perspective. It's a different perspective. The, it's um, stege, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, S-T-E-G-E-I, and it actually means to cover. All right, Proverbs 10:12 says, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. First uh, Peter 4 and 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sin. All right, so when we're talking about bearing things, it's actually talking about covering. Now, do you think that covering is like codependency? Like, you know, okay, my husband came home drunk again, and now he's hungover and he can't go to work, so I have to call up my boss, his boss, and, and tell him he's ill for the day, you know? You know, we're not talking about that type of covering. Um, God yeah, we're not talking about a cover-up. <laughs> we're talking about covering, okay. protecting. God's love watches out for others. It withstands difficulty. It's not based on selfish desire, right? That ahave love. 
right? Or even mutual benefit, but rather seeks the benefit of another. So what's the perfect example? Give me half a second. Okay. The perfect example of this is actually with Mary and Joseph. Okay, <laughs> think about it. Here's Mary, she's pregnant. She's not married, but she's got a fiance. What did Joseph do? Even before he had the dream, all right, where God told him, hey, this is a special thing, stay in it, all right? He chose to not expose her public disgrace, but instead to divorce her quietly, okay? Hey, I didn't do that. That's not mine. She should literally, culturally, be stoned to death. But out of my love, I'm not gonna stay in the situation. I'm just gonna divorce her quietly and let her deal with it, okay? That was his original intent, all right? He was a righteous man. He kept the matter quiet. Rather than blasting it on Facebook, you don't know what this girl did. Can you believe it? I'm gonna, okay? <laughs> He protected her from public shame. And I think too often in relationship, we're not bearing with one another. What we're doing is uncovering them and sharing with our friends. Over the water cooler at work, sharing with our friends in, in, in our co-support partnerships that we have with other, other individuals, we take an opportunity to rail upon our spouse. You know, I used to meet with guys. Or our boss. Or our boss. Or our coworker. Or our kids. Yeah. Or our, you can't believe what Johnny, again, Johnny, you can't believe what Sammy did. <laughs> okay? You don't believe what Sammy did. Sammy did this, this, and this, and this kid, you know, it's, are we, are we barren? Are we looking at our relationships? Okay, we had something back there then, Paul. Um, I was just going to say, um, sort of like, you know, very, love varies all things is when we protect our kids. You know, we stick up for them when something's wrong. We protect them when they get hurt. And God does the same thing to us. So an example of that would be is like how we protect our children. God protects his children, which is us. In a lot of ways. And Paul, you explained last week about the water cooler and how you change mm -hmm. the topic when the guys are talking and you start sharing how your wife is not that. Bring out the better part. The positive side of that. Right. Not a whatever. How it changed the atmosphere. Yeah, and it came from Chuck. That was that was not my thing. It was something that it was an aha moment for me. Yeah. That when the guys are standing around bad mouthing their wives, you speak into it. It's like, man, my wife is such a blessing to me. And it changes. The single guys kind of start, like, yeah, I wish I had that. And you know, the other guys are going, you know, yeah, there's no way I could have done any better either. You know, that kind of stuff. And it just changes the, yeah. changes the atmosphere. Uh, yeah, the, going back to Joseph and Mary, um, this church upstairs at a Christmas service years ago, um, they did kind of a, a Facebook picture of Joseph and Mary. Um, and when Joseph posted on Facebook, and it was just, there was just music going on, and it was just posting. I don't do Facebook, I don't know, it looks like but uh, Joseph said something like, you know, Mary's pregnant. The next posting was 292 people unfriended Mary. Um, you know, yeah, that's, that's, that's us. You know, thank God it wasn't Joseph. David? Um, 
I was looking at other definitions for the word bear, and one of the ones that I found was to strive harder to intensify one's efforts. Mm. And that's not something I would have normally thought of when I think of that phrase, bear one another, or bears all things, but <clears throat> in a relationship, to have that mentality of I'm always striving harder, I'm always intensifying my effort. Um, and, and I like that because, and, and I hate to keep drawing it back to the beginning, but I think the discussion we had at the beginning was vitally important. When we look at the word bear, if we look at it as a must, as opposed to a choice, then it's harder to bear up under something when we consider it to be a must. But if we look at bear as a choice, I think we'll do exactly what David said. We will intensify our efforts to press in and to, and to continue and to love and to be motivated by that. Because we're motivated. We are empowered by choice. We're not empowered by being a victim. And when we hear that word bear under or bear with, it's almost like a victim mentality. And that's why I love the way, and that's the way society has done it anyway. That's the way society has looked at that. And so if we see bearing with all things, God made a choice to bear with us. He didn't have to. He made a choice to bear with us. That's why we have Christ. But I want to put in a word of caution. Bearing with someone doesn't mean you're a good codependent. Exactly. Codependent enables someone in their dysfunction yeah. and in their sin. What we're talking about here is, well, I'm going to actually, love protects the loved one. It doesn't mean we excuse a wrongdoing um, or seek to evade the natural consequences of sin. It means that we strengthen what is weak, shield what is vulnerable, and forgive what is provoking. It throws a cloak of silence over what is displeasing in another person. We don't blast out our failings or their failings. All right? Do we sit there and say, hey, I'm lazy, okay? This last week, I didn't clean my kitchen one day. There's a pile of, you know, I don't say that about myself. It's, well, one, it's not true, okay? But I don't, I don't, I don't say that about myself, all right? <laughs> So why would I say, he's such a bum, I, can't, I have to clean up over him all the time. Why would we do that? Why would we do that? Now, if he doesn't clean up all the time, is it my responsibility, if I'm going to bear, to go behind, oh, go behind him and clean up all the time? Yes. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. It's an issue that needs to get worked out, right? But it doesn't mean, oh, I'm going to protect him and I'm going to cover him up and I'm going to go around cleaning up after him all the time because that's my duty. That's not, that's not the way that God desires this. Okay? Is it wrong for me to clean up all the time? No, not if that's what... And at the same time, at the same time, it's got to be something that's worked out between us, not as a burden for me you know, he, he, man of house, me, clean, you know. So how, do you, how do you get your spouse to meet in the middle that way? Okay. It's called communication. It's, it's called, called communication. love. It's called working things through. And 
compromise too. Okay. Yeah. It's. I don't like the word compromise. It's it's hard for us. Um, the word compromise is difficult for us because when when we compromise, we both lose. Now that's not to say that we won't. And here's. This is our personal. This is our personal. This is how Gene and I interact. If there's a decision that has to be made immediately, and we're not in agreement, I take responsibility for making the decision. It's on me. And I'll, I allow him to make that decision yeah. because he's held, according to biblical standards, to higher accountability because he is head of the household. So. Given that, if if it's a situation that is not critical, if if whatever that other situation is, if it's not critical, if a decision is not needed right away, then what we will do is we will, and we're in disagreement, we will continue to pray about it. And what often time happens is God gives me a different perspective, or God will give Gene a different perspective. And until we come into agreement with that, if it's not critical, then we live with that tension. And there's something that we haven't come into agreement on yet, and we've been living with that tension since April 1st. And guess what? It's not interfering in our relationship. Because we know God will make it work. We'll continue to process it, taking it before God with things like, you know, me cleaning up after him, all right? There's different circumstances, different reasons. We'll have a discussion about it, okay? You know, it, why is it challenging for you to do X, Y, or Z? All right, and this is my side of why it's challenging for the kitchen to be like this or whatever. So we put out our perspectives, and then through that process, we can often come to a, a understanding enough to say, okay, I get why you don't like doing that. Like, I don't like emptying the dishwasher, all right? I, I hate emptying the dishwasher. One of the reasons why I don't like emptying the dishwasher is because I have to bend over. Okay, and physically, that's a little bit more challenging for me. All right, and also putting them up. I'm short. I have to get on my step stool. And, all right, but I don't mind washing dishes. I have no problems. But I will wash the dishes and have them stacked up literally this tall <laughs> in the dish drain. All right. All right. They're clean. It works. All right. For me, he doesn't like having a dish drain that's full. All right. So he loads it with the dishwasher. Okay. No, I load them in the dishwasher, oh, okay. all right, but I he put puts them away, away. Oh, okay. all right? <laughs> so it's, it's what, when we understand these things, it's easier for him to show me love by emptying the dishwasher and emptying the thing. So it's easy for him to give and choose to give in that moment. And for whatever reason, he doesn't like to wash dishes, he leaves them in the sink. It's easy for me to give him love by washing the dishes. So some people see that as compromise. We see that as communicating with one another and demonstrating love for one another. I love that. And choosing to give. And choosing to give. Instead of, we didn't sit down and say, okay, well, no problem. I will wash and you will empty. Because there are times when I do empty the dishwasher. There's times when he washes the dishes. It's not my job and his job. It's we're mutually working Giving. together. You're meeting in the middle. 
Okay, Our that's when you meet the need. But we're mutually choosing to give. We're not, not. You're not labeling the responsibility, the compromise, and labeling the responsibility. That's where you just meet in the middle. See, because when we compromise and we say, "You put away, I clean up," and he doesn't do it, kind of feels now like it's a the, the two never became one in that moment. Yeah. Scripture says the two shall become one. And if is there a middle in you somewhere? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Your belly Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Where is it? Okay. But there's really no middle in us. We're unified. And so, it, some people call it a compromise, and if that's the way you can wrap your main, mind around it, that's fine. It's just a, it's a foreign word to us, actually, compromise. It's a foreign word to us, because it means that each of us is losing something. Where when I do what I do and Jean what does what she does, we're both gaining. Because it is more fulfilling to give than it is to receive anyway. So, anyway. Or, or sometimes you can change your perspective on things like, it was driving me nuts that when my husband put up the dishes, he would put the spatulas where the knives are, the knives are where the spatulas are. So instead of me complaining about which way he's putting it, I says, wait a minute, but he's the one that's cleaning up the kitchen. So <laughs> it's easier for me to just go take the spatula and put the spatula back where it's supposed to go in a knife versus me criticizing him. And then he says, well, why don't you just clean the kitchen up? Right. And I don't want that. Didn't have to go that far. You know, Jean's talking about. Hold on. Anyway, we're going to move on. Okay, so love always trusts. The NIV says love never loses faith. Um, and that's NLV. NLT, New Living Translation, says that the Bible believes. Um, not the Bible. Love. Love. love believes all things. And International Standard says believes the best in all. And the, the Greek word is pistio, which means to believe, place faith in, or trust. It's actually one of the most common words in scripture. It's mentioned 248 times in the New Testament alone. Well, it's Greek, would be in the New Testament, wouldn't be in the Old Testament, but that's a different story. Um, and usually it's within the context of love. It's interesting, yeah. Um, when we love, we'll always believe in the other person. Okay, there's no second question, guessing or questioning. Of whether the person should be loved. You get that? There's no that? question of whether the person should be loved. The person does not need to perform or do something. All right, so this is different than saying that we should always believe them and what they say. Believing in someone is different than believing someone. And actually, one of the things that we've tried to encourage folks, how many of us have people in our lives that it's really difficult to believe in? Okay. Then, okay, five hands go up if I had five hands. Okay, so then let's believe in the God that created them. How many of us, our hearts were really hard when God got a hold of our hearts? 
Okay, how many of us were just living lives that were maybe not bad, but now that we have Christ in our lives are so much better? Okay, so believe in that God. Believe in a God who can change hearts. You realize how many prisoners are serving Christ right now? How many hardcore convicts are serving Christ? Because God got a hold of them. God got a hold of Paul. Paul was a Christian, yeah. Paul was a Christian killer. <laughs> it's just like using Tommy, I guess, or Johnny, I suppose. Okay? But the scales fell from Paul's eyes. He could see. Maybe we should see what God sees in others so that they can see what God sees in themselves. Pastor's message upstairs today, you know, he had the two fig trees up there, and they look very similar. And until you look close, you can't tell that one's bearing fruit and the other's dead. Right? When we're talking about believing in someone, it's exactly talking about what Pastor's talking about today. Yeah, for three years, that tree produced no fruit but let's dig around it let's cultivate it all right let's try to break up the ground so that the nutrients of god's love and god's presence can actually bring benefit you know and and quite frankly some trees are more stubborn than others it takes a little bit longer because yes they're root bound because maybe they're not getting the specific nutrients they need because maybe you know or the hurts in their lives are preventing them from really opening themselves up and you've never seen those hurts because you know what they occurred when they were kids growing up. They are so root bound by the hurts and the pains of their childhood that it's very difficult for them. We have to be able to always hold, always, you know, just press in and believe in them, believe in the God. Believing in someone meets an emotional need. Yeah. It's speaking encouragement. It's speaking approval. Yeah. Okay, I, I don't approve of everything that anyone does, including myself. Uh, but I know that there is a lot in everyone. There's something, all right? In, in, um, I'm a public high school teacher in an alternative setting. Um, so oftentimes, you know, so, oh, well, you guys just get the, the at-risk students. You get the ones that don't fit in. You get the troublemakers, you know, which is really a lie. Um, we, we get a lot of students that, for whatever reason, the comprehensive site's not a good match, right? And oftentimes, because they're not a good match, I think we were talking before class, you know, the six-year-old boys, the seven, eight-year-old boys that are just so hyperactive they can't sit in a, still in a classroom, all right? Now they're labeled um, ADHD, they're labeled ADD, they're labeled um, slow because they can't learn or, or whatever. It's like, no, their timeline is different, all right? But if you can speak into Sammy, not Johnny, Sammy, <laughs> okay, and, and start telling Sammy, hey, you know what? You've got smarts. Hey, you've got, wow, that's pretty creative that you can do that because there's something in Sammy. There's something in every single one of us. Um, our school had a project um, homework assignment. You know, it's like, what special gifts or talents do you have? And so many of my students say, I have nothing. I have nothing. I have nothing that's special, nothing that's unique. Nobody told them. Nobody told them. Or nobody called it out. Nobody mm -hmm. called it out. How many or erased it. 
or embrace it. How many times have we called out failures in someone close to us as opposed to their destiny? Failures in our spouse, failures in our parents, failures in our kids, failures in our coworkers, failures in our bosses, failures in our neighbors. What are the positives? There may only be one small thing. But if you start building on that small thing, all of a sudden it gives them hope. It gives them something that they can start fertilizing and growth and drawing on nutrients that say, hey, maybe I do have a purpose. Maybe I can change. Maybe I can. And that's where we lead into love always hopes. And all versions that we can find translated into some form of hope. Love always hopes. The Greek word is elpizo, which means to hope or wait for salvation with joy and full confidence. David, you were talking about being confident and having confidence. It is used 32 times in the New Testament and expresses more than just, wow, I hope we get to have Italian for dinner tonight. It's not that hope. It's a hope that is a confident belief in the unseen. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Colossians 1.4-5, mm -hmm. we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Read that verse again. It says, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Right? We're supposed to love one another. That's one of the great commandments, right? Well, why do we have the ability to do that? It says because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Joe talked about this a couple of weeks ago. If the love and the relating that we're doing with other people is not based on the love that we're receiving from Christ, we're trying to do it on our own and it will fail. If the love that we have for other people is based on our own doing and is not based on the relationship and the love that we have from Christ, it will fail. It will fail. Because all we are, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. If you have accepted the Lord Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, there's lots of people that accept Him as Savior, right? And the people that accept him as Savior don't produce the fruit. They don't. Hey, I got fire insurance. I'm good. I show up to church on Sunday morning, occasionally on Wednesday night for Bible study. So I've done my check off. I'm good. I'm going to get to heaven. Mm -hmm. Okay? Um, I'm not going to speak to that. But what I'm going to say is in that circumstance, you're not going to be receiving the nutrients to produce the fruit that God desires. If our actions are not based on Christ and what he's done, and to recognize, and he truly recognize, what does the cross mean to you? Is it a good Easter picture? You know, we watch the Passion around Easter or the Ten Commandments around Easter and, and get all, or do we really recognize how every single one of us are unworthy? But that cross, but that cross has given us not just eternal life in heaven, 
<coughs> but it's given us everything we need, everything we need to live a life of righteousness. In Luke 10, 17 through 20, the 72 came back and told Jesus, hey, we were casting out demons left and right. We were doing this, we were doing that. We were displaying essentially all this fruit. And what did Jesus say? Don't rejoice in that, but rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's the key from which everything flows. It flows in that one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus. And I really like this. We consistently fail God. Scripture is rampant with people that failed Him, yet theirs and our failure. And I like what Pastor John said upstairs. Failure is an event. It's not a person. Failure is an event. It's not a person. So we can choose to look at that failure as an event and still love them. We can still be hopeful and show confidence in others. Why? Because God does. How many of us have failed since we've come to Christ? Has God given up on you? Has God labeled you a failure? But have we labeled ourselves or have we labeled others? Okay. But when we recognize, and this is changing our mindsets, why, why do we consistently, frequently, often, um, and I say this pretty universal, take our judgment over about what God's Word says. I'm a failure. I can't do this. This will never work. Right? We, how often do we find ourselves using, negative those, self using those statements? That's not what God says. God says, I can do all things. I'm the restorer. I'm, I'm the king of kings. I'm the provider. I can make things happen. When there seems to be no way, I will make a way. You know? I mean, yes, life happens that's disappointing. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, okay? Of, of all the failures in Scripture, you never saw God saying, man, I really screwed up on that one. <laughs> no. Not even close. There's always, 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 always a choice for redemption and restoration. But he makes it so that we can make that choice. He doesn't force anyone. In every time for the Israelites, there was always a remnant, always a small portion that said, we're going to hold firm to the truth. Yeah. All, right. All right. Love never fails. In the NIV, it says always perseveres. In the NLT, it says endures through every circumstance. International Standard Version, never will she fall. God's Word translation never gives up. In the English Standard Version, love never ends. The Greek word, hepomene, um, which means to fail or fall, and it speaks of um, the attributes of God. 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. And Romans 8, 38 through 39 says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God is eternal. Love will also be eternal because love never fails. When I was going through this study, I'm looking at it and saying, yeah, but we do. My love for others doesn't measure up. It just doesn't. I've got to admit it. And quite frankly, the love that others have shown me doesn't measure up. Love has failed me. The divorce rate in the church is 50%. Has love failed? Scripture says love never fails. But if love truly never fails, why is the divorce rate 50% in the church? Has it failed? from John MacArthur um, and I really really like it um, he says when Paul says love never fails he was not saying that love will always have success love is not a magic key that Christians use to unlock every opportunity and guarantee every endeavor love is not a spiritual formula that faithfully applied automatically fulfills our desires and produces human success Love does not always win, at least not in the usual sense. Jesus Christ was love incarnate, yet he did not, by his perfect love, succeed in winning every person to himself. He was ridiculed, maligned, denied, rejected, and crucified. Paul could be called the apostle of love, yet he did not leave a trail of perfect successes wherever he ministered. He was persecuted, arrested, beaten, imprisoned, and like his Lord, put to death because of what he said and did in love. Because love does not overpower human will, we cannot always accomplish our purposes, no matter how loving, spiritual, and selfless we may be. But no godly work can be accomplished without love. Success will not always be a part of love, but love will always be a part of true spiritual success. When it seems love has failed, there are two things to keep in mind. One, we do not see the whole picture. We cannot see into the future to see what the seeds that were planted will grow into. And love's effect is dependent somewhat on the response of another. We do not love to get a response, but if someone refuses to be loved, then our hands are tied. What do you think of that? gave Adam and Eve the choice in the garden. <clears throat> true love is only true love if it's empowered by the choice to be able to do it. And there will always be the choice not to love. So that I can love and I can love and I can love on another person and the other person just not receive it. For whatever reason. Maybe they genuinely don't like me. Or maybe they've been so hurt 
they don't know how to receive love or maybe I'm trying and I'm trying and I'm trying, but as we found so often in marriage relationships, I'm not speaking or I'm not demonstrating love in ways in which Gene can actually receive it and respond to it. Gene has told you many times early on in our relationship, I would tell her 10, 15, 20 times a day I love you. Because I've always heard that women like to hear that. My husband never says that he loves me. So I would tell Jean 5, 10, 15, 20 times a day to the point where she looked at me and she goes, who are you trying to convince? Because <laughs> my words meant nothing without the actions that went along with it. And I was saying all the right words, but I wasn't moving in the actions that could really minister to Jean the way she needed to be ministered to. And it doesn't mean that he didn't love me. He was just speaking in a language that I couldn't hear, I couldn't receive. It took me a long time to be able to understand that there was something about me that people could actually enjoy and love. It took me a long time. You know, I grew up in a life where there was a lot of rejection, a lot of abandonment. You know, so I kind of learned early on, you just put a smile on it, you pick yourself up by the bootstraps and you keep going. You know, and you have a nice organized room that's full of decaying things in the middle of your heart. The persistence that it takes sometimes to break into that guarded room and to deal with some of the stinky stuff that comes out because of it, it's hard. It's hard. And you need someone in your life to bear all things, to hope all things, for love, Christ's love, to truly not fail. I mean, some of the friends that I have that, I mean, man, the stuff that I put them through, the stuff that I put them through, just, I mean, porcupine personality would be a good um, uh, way to describe me. But they loved me through it. They kept calling me in spite of how many times I would, you know, give them this or how ticked off I would get like that because of something stupid, all right? It took consistency, it took persistence, but love broke through. And I'm a different person because of it. But this wasn't a process that happened once or twice. There were a few people that had to speak into me. There were a few circumstances. And guess what? We learned the hard way, and we're married now over 34 years. And I would say the first half of our marriage was acting. It was acting. We said, I love you, okay? We shared responsibilities around the house. People thought we had a great marriage, but we never loved the way that this talks about. I would complain about the things that he didn't do. You would too. Yeah. Okay? We wouldn't want to seek into each other's hearts. It's like, we've been there, done that, let's get on and, you know, let's start talking about how you're going to work to meet my needs. All right, because that's the way our marriage looked like. And what did it end with? 
a lot of heartbreak. A lot of, I mean, we were separated for 16 months, you know? And as stupid as this is going to sound, I'm very grateful for those 16 months. I'm very grateful. Because I was able to get on my knees and understand who I was in Christ. Because I came into the marriage being Ron's wife. I came to know the Lord and I added him into being Ron's wife. Or the kid's mother. I didn't know who I was. That was just... My relationship with Christ was another thing that I did. Now I'm involved in the church, now I do Bible reading, now I do, but I still didn't know who I was. And the value, the value. I had this thing, you know, you ever you know, hear these things, all, well this person found this painting at Goodwill and it's worth $10 million, you know? All right, the person that gave it away didn't know the value of it. Do we know the value of our salvation? Do we know the value of our <coughs> salvation? I was saved, but I didn't know the value of my salvation until I understood how much God gave up for me and how much he can transform me. And how and much he persevered and how much he bore with us and how much he shared, did all that for us. And because of that, I could come back into this relationship which is something I, quite frankly, didn't want to do, but God told me to do. And it has brought me on the biggest growth trajectory because I understand what true love is. We understand what true love is, and we're working toward, always, a better understanding and a better living out of what true love is. Because love never fails. The power of Christ the power of Christ, the power of perseverance, the power of these always. What's, what's the always? That we always, that we always bear all things, that we always believe, that we always hope, and we endure. So how can we, sir? No, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, you started off with a negative. This is going to sound stupid, but you know what I heard? was a major blessing in your life that was not stupid at all. Not one thing that you experienced in that time was stupid. That's right. It was a huge growth moment for you, and God wanted you to have that. So there is no part of that that is stupid. So I agree. Take that word out of that. The reason why I say it sounds stupid because is because... Because society would label it that way. I don't label it that way. I'm grateful. I am grateful. But that's how God grows us. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy when you face trials and tribulations because it develops perseverance. A perseverance must finish its work that we may be mature and complete, lacking no good thing. Yes. In those trials and tribulations, are we leaning on our salvation? What does leaning on our salvation look like? Who is the God that we belong to? Who's our daddy and what does he provide? Are we going to him for wisdom? Are we going to him for knowledge? Are we going to him for provision? What are we going to him for? I don't care what your circumstance looks like. I mean, we've, we've been, you know, with job losses coming up and it's like, okay, I got my pink slip. Now what? I'm not gonna freak out. Why? Because there's not been one day that God hasn't provided. Has he always given me everything that I wanted? Nope. <laughs> okay. But he has provided. You, you know what frustrates a lot of the couples that come to us for counseling or coaching? 
It's because we won't listen to their circumstance. We won't listen to their issues. We're not a mediator. I'm, we're not mediators. We don't mediate issues. Mm -hmm. What we do is we try and get a sense of where their thinking is at and to modify it and help them change the thought process to come into alignment with the word because if that thought process changes then what ends up happening is the issues become non-issues be transformed by the renewing of your mind take captive every thought be submissive okay so how do we get how do we get to here how do we get to do this type of love well first we <laughs> Philippians talks about humility being humble we don't know the whole picture we have limitations when I used to work and I, when I would come home guess what picture I did not have as soon as I walked in the door I did not have the full picture of Jean's day I don't know what went on that day and she doesn't know what went on in my day when I walked in that door. So to immediately come in and look around, what have you been doing all day? I don't have the full picture. Jean looks at me and she goes, well, I received a call. My uncle died. Could be that. Could be that. You never know. We don't know. And here's the, here's the tipper. We're really grateful that God loves us, all right? Guess who knows every blemish in our lives? God. And he loves us anyway. God's the only one who does know the whole picture, and he still loves us. We don't know the whole picture, so it's important if we want to love the way Paul talks about, to be humble. And then to trust God, because who else really knows the whole picture? Only God does. We need to be willing to change our perceptions. Yeah. You know, so often we recognize that we're sinners. Okay. How many in here would say I'm not a sinner, or I don't sin? Okay. Oh, I won't say I don't sin. I will say I'm not a sinner. <laughs> okay. Because our new nature is not to be a sinner. Right. Okay. But we still sin. But we measure our small sins by their huge sins. What we don't recognize is our small sin. That's rebellion. That's what sent Christ to the cross. Do we recognize that? Do we truly recognize every white lie, every time God asks us to call someone and we don't? Every passive aggressive behavior of leaving a toilet seat up. <laughs> Okay. I wouldn't put that down now. All right. That <laughs> sent Christ to the cross. But the thing that I love is that we don't have to live at the cross. We can live past the cross to the resurrection. Exactly. Okay, the empty tomb. All right. We don't see God's love clearly enough, and that's what that is. The empty tomb is God's eternal love. He didn't just say, all right, guys, I took your punishment. I stood in the corner for three years. All right? He didn't say that. He said, I took your punishment. I took the pain. All right? I took the cost that it was going to cost you. I paid it. 
And now, let's have a party. Now let's have life. Let's have life. Okay. We don't understand what God's attributes are. God is not a God that's saying, you better do this. So many of us see God as, as the punishing God or you know the God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament. We have them all divided up when he's the same God. You know, bottom line is scientists have not figured out DNA yet. They know what the elementary truths about DNA are, but they don't know the complexities of DNA. We try to explaining what the Trinity is like. Do you know how limited our understanding of what the Trinity really is like? Father, Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all in one, all one God. How does that work? Well, it's like an egg. It's like water. I don't know. All I know is it is what it is, and maybe one day I'll find out. But I'm not that bright to figure that out. Go ahead and ask God. <laughs> all right. But it's it's it just displays how much we don't know. Really. It just displays how much we don't know, even though we think we know so much. And we don't see right and wrong correctly. We make judgments about our behavior based on our perceptions and desires rather than God's standards. Taking it back to the people that bomb abortion clinics. You know? Or what about people that condemn homosexuals? Or, you know, fill in the blank. You know, the stigma of divorce is a lot less than it used to be. But still, even within the Christian church, you know, because you're divorced, then um, it's hard. It's really hard because God's love supersedes all of that. It doesn't excuse it. It doesn't excuse it, but it supersedes. Can I go and love? truly love someone that is not saved, that is living in, um, how do I say this, an alternative lifestyle, I guess that would be a politically correct term. With God's love, does he love them? Yeah, he does. He does. Can we have good discussions, <coughs> potentially? It takes two people. But the thing that overrides everything is, how are you loving the person? And how are, are you loving the person? And are you making that choice? Don't feel trapped into a choice. Don't feel trapped into only one thing that you can do. True love always has a choice associated with it. No matter how unpalatable or how unfavorable the other circumstances may be, it's still a choice. So let's choose to love as opposed to, I guess I got it, I married him. I know Jean has felt that way. I'm no fool. You felt that way about me too. Yeah. We felt that way about one another. But we get through it. But we get through it. And now get I, it. I get to love. I get to share life. I get to do this. Is it perfect? Nope. Is it better than it used to be? Yep. yep. Do we still have times when we go back? Yep. yep. Are they shorter and longer between the times? Yep. 
going to be better in the future. It's, it's going to be yes. better in the future. Because love always it's hopes and love always perseveres. Love never fails because God is love. God doesn't fail. We will sometimes. But remember, and I really like this, it's going to be stuck in my head for a long time. Failure is an event, not a person. No one in here is damaged goods. No one in here is damaged goods. Everyone in here is worthy of love, worthy of being valued. Everyone. So those are words of life, right, Paul? You want to close this out? Any questions? Any questions, comments? There are no snide remarks in this class anymore. <laughs> just kidding. No call. Father, we love you. We praise you. Um, Lord, we receive the words of life that we've been, that have been shared with us today. Lord, we thank you for Ron and Jean and for what they have taught us, Lord. We know that it comes from your heart through their mouths and, Lord, into our hearts. And we say yes to what you have for us, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for 1 Corinthians 13 and the teachings that are in there. It's powerful. It's deep. Uh, and it's important for our lives, for our relationships. Lord, we thank you for everything that you do for us. Thank you for all of the words of love and life that you have showered on us through your word, through your teachings to us, Lord. We look to you, Lord, for everything. Amen. 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 We love you guys.